story about a woman. I don't remember if she called in or she just messaged, you know, on the day of uh, Pearl Harbor. And this woman was a grade school teacher. And uh, she had this question, what's this about Pearl Harbor? She had no idea what, what happened on, on Pearl Harbor. Now, I don't know about you, I think that's a terrible thing, don't you? Yes. Uh, you know, we, we've been all generations to remember. But there's something that's even more tragic than that. And that's generations not knowing Jesus, not knowing the love of God. I mean, to not know about Pearl Harbor is, is horrible, but it's, it's temporal. There's no redeeming element involved in it. But when we begin to talk about knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, you know, that is, that is so key. I mean, some of you remember hearing me tell the story about when we were in Wapaka and after one of the services this, well, that afternoon, lady brought a couple of high school girls that had been in the service and, and uh, wanted me to share with them and because and, they, they, they weren't believers. And so I, I started to share with them and my terminology didn't work because they, they didn't know what sin was. They didn't, they didn't understand any of that. And so I finally got a, this old chick track out that I had and, and I sat down with these two girls and I began to explain the pictures to them. Didn't use words like sin, just talked about how God was, how, how, how Satan was bad and people did bad things. And, and anyway, they received Jesus before they left that day and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost too, but the most important thing was they received the Lord Jesus. But see, they, they knew nothing about anything. And I think the thing that we have to be aware of is we have people in our communities that are totally unaware because they're in a generation. They've had those that have come before them that have never passed the truth down. And then there's this other side of it. We're celebrating Christmas. Let's not lose sight of the significance of Christmas. Let's not get so caught up in all the other stuff that we lose sight of Christmas because it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility, primary above anything else, that we spread the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. I don't know about you, I refuse to spend eternity without my children, without my grandchildren, and if Jesus tarries without my great-grandchildren. They're gonna know the truth so that they're gonna spend all of eternity with me, with Jesus in heaven. But you know what? We need to, we need to start taking some of this seriously. And I think sometimes we, we take our whole Christian life too flippantly. But it's nothing to take flippant. We need to take it serious because eternity 
is serious. Eternity is a, is a serious deal. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about making a radical life change. We need to be radical. And, uh, and, and, and to be radical just simply means that we, we live a life of obedience to the Word of God. If we live a life in obedience to the Word of God, we will experience a radical life change. I think oftentimes when we think about being radical, we think about stuff way out there. But let me, let me tell you something. It'll change us. And, and of course, the reason that I'm using the word radical is because it's, it's biblical. Everybody say it's biblical. Well, it's, it's biblical if you use the message translation. It's probably not if you use any other translation. But I just want to read this verse out of the message translation. It comes from Acts, the 17th chapter and the 30th verse. And it says, God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better. But that time has passed. Amen? You know what that means? That means you can't use that as an excuse anymore. You know, I, I remember seeing this passage when I first got saved and thinking, well, I'm better off not knowing anything. And some people thought I had achieved it, you know, but, but it, because if you know it, you're responsible for it. But then I began to realize something. You know what? Laws work whether you're aware of it or not. You know, and uh, you, you, may, you may not know what the speed limit is. But if you drive over the speed limit and an officer sees you, he's going to stop you. And he's going to give you this little slip of paper that's going to cost you something for most of us. Some people squeak by, but not forever. Not forever. You know, so, but, but, but the point is, is you may not be aware of the law, but the law still comes into play. You may not be aware of the law of gravity, but the law of gravity works. Remember before we um, put the sidewalk out back in the back of the church, you know, we, we, we didn't shovel it and stuff. And for some reason, I decided to go out that door this time of the year. And, and uh, I, I went out the door and I didn't realize how slick it really was. And I had something in both of my hands. And so I walked out the door and I hit the bottom step and my feet just went out from under me and I come back and I landed on top of the steps. You know, there, there's times when something hurts too bad that absolutely nothing will ever come out of your mouth. You know, and I, I remember laying there and just rolled over and I'm just going. <laughs> well, you know what? I wasn't aware that gravity was going to get a hold of me at that point in time. And it did. And it hurt. And so I came to the realization that what I don't know can hurt me. And more often than not, it will hurt me. And so it's important for us to find out what the Word of God says, because when we know what the Word of God says and we begin to apply the Word of God in our life, we can avoid a lot of hurt, pain, and discomfort in life. 
But getting back to this passage, it says, God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better, but that time is past. The unknown is now known. You don't have an excuse any longer, you know. The unknown is known. And he's calling for a radical life change. How does the radical life change come to place in our lives when we know the truth? But it isn't just knowing the truth, it's applying the truth. The scripture says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you know what? The only truth that can set you free is the truth that you're aware of, the truth that, that you know. And the only truth that you know that will really operate and do something in your life is the truth that you'll apply in your life. And so that will produce, that will create a radical change in your life. You need a change in your life? We look at areas in our life and we think, this has got to change. Well, we can have that radical change, but it's only when we take and we begin to apply the Word of God in our life. Because it's the Word the word works. Everybody say the word works. It works and it works for us when we apply it in our lives. It brings about that change. You know, the, the word of God, it's that, that root that brings stability to our lives. Without that stability, without those roots going deep, what happens is, we sway, and we, we can be moved from one place to another. But when we have roots that go deep through the Word of God, nothing's going to move us. Nothing's going to change us. In Proverbs 12, 12 it says, The wicked covet, covet the kit. Let me try again. The wicked, the, the wicked covet the catch of the evil man, but the root of righteousness yields fruit. But the root of righteousness yields fruit. You know, <clears throat> anything. that matures, that is healthy, reproduces. You know, when farmers plant a crop, they want a healthy crop. And why do they want a healthy crop? Because that crop is gonna reproduce. You're gonna come out of that field with more than what you went into that field with. In our lives, we are to produce, we're to produce fruit. But in the same way that those crops, they have to have roots that, that go deep, that, that draw upon the nutrients and so forth. So if our life is going to be productive, produce fruit, we've got to have roots that run deep, draw on those nutrients, and those nutrients begin to produce in our life. What, what does the Bible talk about as being the fruit that are to be evident in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are to be 
evident to be fruit in our life. But you know what? <clears throat> it draws from the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is knowing who we are in Christ Jesus and knowing what Jesus has accomplished for us. And every time we, we read one of those passages that declare who we are in Christ, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. When we know that we're a brand new creation, that old things have passed away, all things have become new. Why? Because we're the righteousness of God in Christ. And when we know that and we declare it and we speak it, those roots begin to go deep. And what happens? It begins to produce fruit in our life. We begin to experience peace. We begin to have joy. We begin to love those around us. We begin to be patient. That's the fruit that's going to be produced in our life. And the Bible says that that's a radical life change that we're to experience in our life. How do you know when you're producing a radical life change, when people from your past, they come along and they say, what's, what's going on with you? Something's changed. You used to be so fearful, and now you seem to be at peace. Why is that? And not just what others see, but you begin to realize it within yourself. You begin to realize the things that once tormented you. Because let's, let me tell you something about the enemy. The devil, he's a, he's a tormentor. He doesn't want your life to just simply be uncomfortable. He's a tormentor. And when that torment leaves, and you can be resting in peace, where's that peace come from? Comes from one place. Comes from knowing what Jesus has done for you. And that only happens when our roots go deep, when our roots realize that what Jesus has done for me is more than enough. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. Did you get that? Yes. I adjusted my time. No, <laughs> Mark the fourth chapter. Mark the fourth chapter. In the sixth verse, and here he's talking about um, the seed and the sower. Sowing the seed. Yeah, but I'm going to start in the sixth verse. Well, let's just go ahead and start in the third verse because it doesn't make any sense to read it and not start there. It says, listen, behold, a sower went out and sow, to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of, of earth. But when the sun uh, was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop and sprang up and increased and produced, 
some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And he said to them, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, we all have ears. But he's saying, you can hear, but not hear. We've got to be willing to hear. Do you know, hearing involves making a decision. We've got to make a decision that we're going to hear what God has to say. And so he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But when he is alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, <clears throat> to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things are in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. But see, for us, that time has passed. We're to hear, we're to see. What are we to see and hear? Well, here it's talking about knowing that your sin is forgiven, knowing that you're in right standing with Christ Jesus. Do you realize that you'll never be able to walk in the righteousness that has been made available to you until you have an understanding that your sin is forgiving. You know what the number one thing the enemy wants to do? He wants to for convince you that you're an exception, that you're worse than everybody else, that maybe other people's sins are forgiven, but your sins are not forgiven because you've just messed up too badly. Well, let me tell you something. You haven't sinned too badly. God's forgiveness is available to you. If you will hear, if you will see what Jesus has done for you, you'll be able to walk in the fullness of it. And in knowing that your sin is forgiven, you'll walk in the righteousness that has been made available to you through Christ Jesus. And walking in that righteousness means that you will live the victorious life in every area of life. The abundance that God wants for you is in every area of your life. Socially, economically, spiritually, physically. Every area of life, God wants you to prosper. He says, I desire for you to prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Your soul is your mind, will, and your, no, your emotions. So you will never prosper beyond what you know that God's provided for you, and the way you find that out is through the Word. And so then he goes on and he says, 13th verse, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the Word. And these are the ones by the wayside when the Word is sown, when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word so that <clears throat> the word that was sown in their hearts. And so it doesn't have an opportunity to take any root. Why? Because it's stolen immediately. <clears throat> That's why your biggest fights are on Sunday morning on the way home from church. Why? Because the enemy wants to steal the word from you. He wants to distract you from the word that you just heard so that it isn't, doesn't have an opportunity to take root. 
Well, pastor, I heard it in church. Well, it may have begun to bud, but you've got to meditate on it. You've got to think about it. You've got to hear it so that it can go deep into your heart so that it can produce, so that it can take root. When they hear the word immediately, receive it with gladness. Well, let, let me back up here. And then there are those, and they, they <clears throat> when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. And this is what I want you to see. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You hear the word, it begins to take root. But all of a sudden, the test, the trial comes. And what happens? You say, well, I guess this just doesn't work for me. I, I, I've heard it from people. I've heard it come out of their mouth. They say this, this confession thing, this faith thing, this grace thing, this trusting God thing. Maybe it works for others, but it doesn't work for me. Well, why do you say that? Because I tried it. Let me tell you something. This Christian life isn't something you try. We live it. And so then you, since you're living it, you might as well do as we're talking about here today. You might as well just have that radical life change and see everything in your life turned right side up. You may not realize it, but your life has been upside down. But you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you begin to apply the truths and the principles of the Word of God and all of a sudden what happens is your life begins to get turned right side up. You begin to see things differently. Why? Because you're seeing from the top rather than the bottom. You ever notice, you know, the, the, the view is a lot different on top of the mountain than it is when you're standing in the valley. And, and oftentimes where we've been if, is we've spent the majority of our time in the valley looking up when we're supposed to be on top of the mountain looking down, seeing the circumstances, seeing everything from a different perspective. How do we get there? We get there through the Word of God as we take it and we begin to apply it in our lives. There in Mark 4.17, it talks about offense. And what offense will do, it'll, it'll, it'll stop us from continuing on in the Word of God. Let me tell you something. This is just a, just a word of advice. You need to be thick-skinned. Stop. Not, not speaking to you, but I'm speaking in general. Stop being wimps. Wimpiness and Christianity don't look good together. I mean, within just the, the last couple of weeks, I've talked to different individuals that used to come to Abundant Life, and they don't come now because somebody said something, and somebody offended them, and somebody did this, that, or the other thing. Don't, don't be offended by me, but grow up. 
grow some, grow some skin. <laughs> what did I say? Did I say something stupid? I probably did. I'm offended now. I think I'm going to go. You laughed at me. But I mean, it's just. Get over it. You know, I mean, just get over it. Because let me tell you something. Doesn't matter where you go, somebody's going to offend you. You know why? You're there. It isn't just about them, it's about, oh, this is going to offend somebody. It's about you. And we, we, we look for it. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This, this was, this, this spoke absolute volumes to me. Yeah, not, not many of you remember, but we used to have this preacher in. His name was Anthony Wade. And a great teacher of the word. I mean, he could preach on John 3.16 and I could, I'd, it'd just make me want to shout and crawl out of my skin. It was so good. But Anthony, now how do I say this without offending somebody? Anthony was black. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> in those days when we had speakers in, we, we, we kept them in our, they stayed with us at the house. And so Anthony would stay with us, you know, and, you know, we told him, you know, the first time you stay with us, we'll serve you. The second time, you know where the refrigerator is, get your own stuff. You know, and so he had stayed with us, and, and so uh, he was getting ready to leave, and, and so we all, we were standing in the family room, and the kids were with us, and we were holding hands, and we were praying as he was getting ready to leave, and, and so we were done praying, and Pastor Becky uh, looks at Anthony, and she says, Anthony, can I ask you a question? And she's, he says, sure. And he says, Anthony, you're so black. And Iowa is so white. And most of his ministry is up in northwest Iowa, you know, where it's really white. And uh, says, Anthony, you being so black and and we being so white here, do you feel a lot of prejudice towards you? And he thought a minute, and he says, no, I really don't. But then he said this. He says, but I don't look for it. And I thought, there's a man that has thick skin. There's a man who knows who he is. There's a man who doesn't have to look for other people's opinion. Now, that, that's just one area. You know, all of us, we have our own little deals. Amen? Our own insecurities, our own inferiorities, our own issues. And how are we dealing with it? Are we dealing it expecting everybody else to deal with it? Or are we dealing with it? Because when we deal with it, it no longer matters what everybody else thinks, as long as we're doing it according to the word. And so here he talks about, 
you know, and this is, this is what I've seen is, is how people allow anything to offend them. And so what they'll do is they'll walk away from what's, what's producing or in the infant stages of producing the radical change in their life. They'll walk away from it because somebody said something that I didn't like. Now, that isn't part of my message, so that doesn't count on my time. You know, but let's allow the Word of God to work in our life. Let's, let's get roots that run deep so that when something comes against us, it doesn't throw us off course and we're able to stay on course. And our roots can go deep because see, ultimately, this is back to the same thing, ultimately, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to keep you. He wants to keep me from producing fruit. He wants us to live a life of turmoil. Drama. I had, I had a woman, she came in one time and you know, it was the 1600th and 15th time that she's come in with the same same stuff. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Harold? You know, <clears throat> you know but, but anyway, she comes in and I, I finally said to her, I says, it must wear you out. She says, what do you mean? I says, it must just absolutely wear you out. Having all this drama in my life would wear me out. I would have to spend, I, why, why do people sleep all day long? Because of all the drama in their life. Because they're allowing. Let me tell you something. Nobody can impose their will upon you. We allow it. And so we allow people to impose their feelings, their emotions upon us. And it produces drama in our life rather than us walking in the victory that belongs to us through Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody say, you love you. we love you, Pastor Dave. Because I can, I can see it on your faces. Everybody's thinking, I wish I would have stayed home and listened to Joel today. Because Joel make you feel good. Amen? I want you to feel good. I want you to be victorious. I want you to sink roots so deep that nothing can get you off course. Now my thing turned off. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians, the sixth chapter. Don't you love Galatians? Me and two other people. <clears throat> Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not or will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Let me read it out of the Amplified. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. I like that. Do not be deceived and deluded 
and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretense or professions or his precepts being set aside. He inevitably inevitably deludes himself who attempts to dilute God. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he'll reap. What do you want to harvest? What do you want to harvest in your life? Because what we sow, our deeds, what we do, that's what we're going to reap accordingly. You know, it's like the person that comes in and they say, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong, but nobody likes me. You know, of course, I'm a mercy, so I can't say what I'm really thinking. What I'm really thinking is, I understand, I don't like you. <laughs> but it isn't you. It's your attitude. And see, what are we projecting? What are we showing people? What are we telling people by our behavior, by, by the look on our face, by the way that we respond to them? Are we saying, I like you, I want to talk to you? Are we saying, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me? Now, I understand that look. I'm a melancholy. You know, and so there's a lot of times I, I want to say, get away from me, get away from me, get away. No, but, but what are we projecting? What are we telling people? Don't be, we're not going to be, God's not going to be mocked. What we sow, what we do, that's what we're going to reap. In Ephesians, the third chapter, the 20th verse, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, I like that word, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that's working in us. What's the power that's working in you? Well, that power ought to be the Word of God. The power ought to be the Holy Spirit. And he says he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we ask or think. Now, I don't about you. I can, I can ask big and I can think bigger. And it says no matter how big I think God can do exceedingly, abundantly above that. That's the God that we serve. And that's the God that we need to have confidence in. Most of us see God as a just getting by God. If we just get by, I'll be happy. Well, you selfish thing, you. That's one of the most selfish attitudes an individual could ever have is I just want enough to get by. Because if you just have enough to get by, how can you help anybody else? Why does he want to bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever 
ask or imagine, so that you can affect, so that you can touch the lives of others. God wants to use you in ways that he's never used you before. You know, we had the privilege Thursday of shopping. Hallelujah. But a lot of the shopping was to fill up the backpacks for the orphans and school kids that the high schoolers took up donations for. Shoes, toys, shirts. They're going to get this backpack. And, and so at Christmas time, when Sarah and Edward get back, you know, the, the women of life are, are doing it as well. But, but our, our high schoolers took five of those kids and uh, uh, are giving them a Christmas, I guess. It won't be back by Christmas, but shortly thereafter. And, th and think about this. Our kids, our teenagers, are blessed above and beyond what you could ever ask or think so that they have an overflow so that they can think of somebody else rather than just thinking of themselves. Why does God want to bless us so much? Pastor, I just, I just think this, this prosperity message, it's just so selfish. Let me tell you something. Anything other than a prosperity message is a selfish message because it's only thinking of self. Oh yeah, there's, there's those that preach the salvation message and that are adhering to the self me prosperity message. They're, they have a selfish motivation because they just want more for themselves. But we can't be responsible for them. Amen. Because we're not selfish. We want to do more. I don't know about you. I don't want to do less in 2017 than we did in 2016. I want to do more. And so for us to do more as a church, I want to give the missionaries that we support, I want to give them more. I don't want to cut back and give them less. I want to give them more. And so what does that mean? That means we need more so that we have more to give. And so when you get a raise, it's not just about you. Oh, praise the Lord. I have more now so that I can get blah, blah, blah. No. That's, that's not what it's about. That's part of it. But it's so that we can have more. And how do we get to that place? By putting the roots down. Because when we put the roots down, we know that God is our source. I may work a job, but ultimately, God is my source. God is the one that I look to. God is the one that I depend upon. God is the one that creates the increase in my life. And he wants to create increase in your life as well. And so, where does this come from? Radical life change comes through radical obedience. That we choose to obey the Word of God even when it doesn't make any sense to us. 
Now, you're all probably smarter than me. But sometimes, what I read in the Word of God, it just, it doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I accept it, I believe it, because God knows better than me. And you know what happens? After a period of time, as I take that Word and apply it in my life, nothing else makes any sense. Because God's Word is so true. Still in the New Testament, turn over to Luke, the fifth chapter. Here in Luke, the fifth chapter, Jesus approaches Simon and some of the other disciples after they've they spent the whole night fishing. All night. They've been fishing and they, they caught absolutely nothing. And in the fourth verse it says, when he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now that makes absolutely no sense. Because number one, they were wore out because they'd spent the whole night fishing. But number two is, you don't, you don't go out at this time of the day you surely don't go out to the deep to let down your nets. But that's what Jesus said. And so listen to Simon's response. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And you know what they did? They did exactly what Jesus did, told them to do. And you know what? The Bible says they caught a great number of fish. Why? Because they obeyed Jesus. Some, there, there's things that we have in our life. We've labored. We've done it in our own strength. We've, we're wore out. And Jesus turns around and he tells us to do the very same thing again. But you know what happens? We allow our own wisdom to intervene. We say, well, I've already tried that, and it didn't work. And so what's the point? There's no, there's no point in trying again. Jesus says, let down the nets this time. And if we'll let down the nets, just as Peter will experience this great increase in our life. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an area where you've struggled. You know, we, we sometimes call it the sin that so easily besets us. Maybe it's a, it's a habit, it's addiction. It can be any number of things, but it just seems like we can't get the victory over. Maybe it's a sickness or a disease. And think, man, I'm not going to... I've prayed for it, I'm not going to do it again. But we feel this nudge in our heart, and we think, what's the point? Let down the nets. Get the catch. Be obedient to the Word. Be obedient to Jesus. Because you know what? He's never going to let us down. He's never going to fail us. Just one other example. In the Old Testament, we have this example he was a commander, Nahum. It's in 2 Kings. 
Naaman, not Nahum, Naaman. And uh, he is a great commander of the army, but he had leprosy. And of course, there was nothing that they, they could do about it. And so, as the leprosy would progress, it doesn't talk about this, but he would have to remove himself from the command because he wasn't allowed to, to be amongst the people. And so let's, let's look at this. It's in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And we'll begin in the first verse. And it says that, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, valor but a leper. And the Syrians had <clears throat> gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She, uh, she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of, of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, silver six thousand shekels of gold, and ten, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter of the king of Israel and said, now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. What's this guy want to fight with me? I can't heal anybody. And so it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went to the house, uh, went with horse and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house, and Elijah sent a messenger to him. Now understand, this, this commander is a, he's a man of significance. He's important. <laughs> That's how we often see ourselves. We see ourselves as important. And so, uh, God has a way, if we don't humble ourselves, to humble us. Or as we would say, to put us in our place. And so it says, um, in the 10th verse, and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. 
And Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abraham and something or other of Damascus uh, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in rage. In other words, the prophet didn't do what he expected him to do. I remember being, when Brother Hagin was still alive, being down at camp meeting one year, and, and he had been ministering healing to people, and, and I mean just hundreds of people. He had laid hands on them, and of course, Brother Hagin at this time was in his uh, late 70s, if not 80s, and, and, and finally he, he knew it was time to go, so he, he laid his hands on, I think it was Kenneth Copeland came up there and a couple other guys, and he touched their hands and said, the same anointing's on me, is on you. And he, he left because he knew it was time, according to the condition of his body, to, to take care of himself and leave. And so I watched, because I was still up in the, in the balcony, and I looked down, and when Brother Hagen left, people began to get out of the line, and they walked back to their seats. Because they were expecting Brother Hagen to heal them. Brother Hagen had an anointing, but Brother Hagen didn't heal anybody. Jesus is the healer. And so you know what happened? Just as what would have happened to Naaman, he would have walked away with his leprosy. Why? Because the prophet didn't wave his hand over him like he expected him to do. The prophet didn't do what he expected him to do. It's like the people standing in the prayer line, they got out and left because they didn't get what they were expecting or how they were expecting to get it. And so Naaman was going to leave. But then his servant said to him, and the servant came there and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What's, what's the point, Pastor Dave? The point is this. God's word works. We apply God's word in our life. Why? Because it works. And how do we apply God's word? We do it by living a life of obedience. When he says pray, we pray. When we he says believe, we believe. But pastor, it doesn't make any sense. Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what God says. Let me tell you something. If you try to reason this out, we're in Christmas. An angel announced 
to Mary, a virgin. You're going to have a baby. And that baby isn't going to have an earthly father. Duh. Does that make any sense? Not if we allow our minds to reason it, but it makes perfect sense when we understand the Word of God. And this baby is going to grow up, and he's going to be a man, and he's going to be a perfect man. And because he's a perfect man, which we celebrate today when we receive communion, he's going to be, he's going to be whipped beyond recognition. And those stripes are going to be for your healing. And Jesus, when he comes to earth, he's going to set aside all the riches of heaven, and he's going to become poor so that you can be rich. Jesus is going to do that for you. And then after he's taken all of those stripes, beaten beyond recognition to the point of death, they're going to take him and they're going to nail him to a cross and his blood is going to flow from his body for the forgiveness of your sin. And as a result of your sin being forgiving, you get to go to heaven and spend all of eternity in the presence of Almighty God. And you're going to tell me that in the natural, that makes sense. But in the heart, makes all the sense in the world. Why? Because we're alive to the things of God. How do we get alive to the things of God? By knowing what the Word of, say, the Word of God says, by applying what the Word of God says, and that which made absolutely no sense all of a sudden makes sense. Tithing makes absolutely no sense. But when we understand the principles of God's Word, there isn't anything that makes more sense. Of course we live better off of 90% of our income than 100%. Of course we do. Because the Word says so. In James, the first chapter, the 20th verse, 22nd verse. But be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Remember what we read earlier out of Galatians. Don't be deceived. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like the man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it's not just looking in it, it's continuing in it. And it is not, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. I want to be blessed in what I do. 
I'm blessed in what I do. Why? Because we're doers of the word. We're obedient to the word. We know what the word says. And because we know what the word says, we apply it in our lives. And because we apply it in our lives, we experience the victory that's ours through Christ Jesus. Radically, radically changed. I don't know, there's something about that. I mean, it's no big deal. But, but the word just kind of, kind of cool. Radical life change through our obedience to the word of God because we know that it's true. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can have the ushers and elders and those assisting with communion, if you'll come forward at this time. If you're visiting with us this morning, just want to extend an invitation to you to receive Holy Communion with us. Uh, if you've born again, you're part of the family of God, and so even though you may not be uh, part of Abundant Life Ministries, you're part of our extended family, and so we extend an invitation to you. Uh, the way that we receive communion here, uh, the ushers and the elders will pass around the elements. When you receive it, you can either take it at that point or just uh, hold on to it to the very end and we'll receive it uh, together as a body. But the Bible speaks of how Jesus, on the night when, he, when she is betrayed, it says he took bread. And when he had taken that bread, it says that he, he took it and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, he said, that they're to do this in remembrance of me. And so what we remember this morning as we receive the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we don't think about our failings and our shortcomings. We're reminded of everything that Jesus did for us, that his body was broken so that your body and my body that we might be whole. That he took upon himself that poverty, that, that lack, that struggle that we encounter. The Bible says concerning Jesus that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. And so anything that you and I have ever gone through or ever will go through, Jesus went through it before us so that he could set us free from it so that we might walk in wholeness. And so the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, receive it in remembrance of him, the body of Christ. And then we receive the second element which is the juice that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin but Jesus didn't just simply cover our sins 
He removed them, past, present, and future. You know, it's interesting as he did it for all humanity. The tragic thing about individuals not experiencing salvation, not experiencing what Jesus did for them is the fact that the price has already been paid. Jesus' blood was already shed for them. All they need to do is know and to recognize what Jesus accomplished for them. Of course, going back to what we talked about earlier, right after worship. You know, that's our goal, our purpose as believers is to make sure that every man, woman, and child that we have the opportunity to share with knows that truth. And so Jesus' blood was shed for you and I. In 1 John it says that His blood was shed not just simply to wash away the sin, but any residue, anything that remains from that, the consequence of that sin, the shame, the guilt, the pain, through the blood of Jesus, it's all washed away. And so maybe you're here this morning and you know that your sin is forgiven, but you're still struggling with guilt. You're still struggling with shame because of something of your past. Well, it's time to give it over to Jesus and say, Jesus, I thank you that through your blood you've washed me, you've cleansed me from sin. But right now I receive a fresh washing. The shame has to go. The guilt has to go. The pain has to go. And Father, I stand here before you this morning as a righteous man, not because of my righteous acts, but because of your righteousness. And I thank you. The blood of Christ, which was shed for you for the remission of your sin, as you receive it, receive it in remembrance of Him, the blood of Christ. And so, Father, I thank You that Your mercies are new every day. I thank You that we can trust You completely, that You've promised to never leave us or forsake us. Father, I thank You that Your healing flows through our bodies, that we are whole because of the completed works of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that our past no longer has a hold upon us because we have a future in you. So we want your will to be done. So I just speak a blessing upon this your congregation. And Father, as we go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we go in your peace and your strength 
We go declaring your goodness because you're good. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So have a blessed week and as you leave, give somebody a hug and let them know you love them.